Right now, it's 16 minutes past the big hour. Is that not right, Mr. Scream? <laughs> Great, good stuff. I think people are getting really cranked. And we're back. It's the Hockey Show, where we talk all things in the hockey world right here. Colorado's biggest and best live hockey radio show. I'm waiting for SiriusXM to recruit us. Man, this, this, this show's so hot. We got all the best guests. And I want to know if we get a discount on the uh, Denver hair surgery or not. Uh, yeah, you just have to mention Afternoon Drive, I believe. We're going to have to get them on as a sponsor so I get a better discount. Yeah, I could, I, I could use a little help. I've lost a little bit since I was 17, but hey, that was 15 years ago for me or something like that. But as we're still waiting, Greg Wyshynski going to keep efforting him here. Um Let's get into what we were going to talk about with him because his article, kind of looking over his career year, right? Nazem Kadri at 31 years old is having one of the best years he's ever had and a lot going into it. And I think the thing that stood out to me the most in this article that Greg Wyshynski wrote was the simple openness of Nazem Kadri, right? He definitely seems to have taken a deep breath. He relaxed a little bit. We saw the other day on TNT, right, how fantastic TNT is doing. I did. Just to interject, they're, I feel like they're running away with the coverage. I just can't wait for the playoff time. I mean, between TNT and ESPN, the playoff coverage is going to be amazing. But we even saw during TNT, they had a little interview with uh, Nazem Kadri between intermissions there, and he was feeling loose, feeling good, and, and just seemed like a different version of Nazem Kadri than we're used to seeing. He definitely seems to have relaxed. He seems comfortable here in Colorado, which makes me hopeful for what comes this offseason with his free agency year but um no I just like the, like the energy coming out of Nazem Kadri. you really hope he's the guy who's not uh just kind of doing the career year thing right taking off having a career year blowing it up that's very possible I, my biggest concern is that he's only a year away from having a you know a most recent suspension but he's like I'm a changed man and I feel like that's something he anyone would say but are you really that's what I want to see well, like I said, he's 31 now, right? I think once you start stepping into your 30s, things kind of start clicking for you. You do naturally grow up and uh, get things ready. So Greg Wyshynski's ready for us. Let's go straight to the phones. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're super busy. You got so many radio hits, especially when you <laughs> drop an article like this. But the thing I wanted to start with, Greg, I mean, you're the godfather of hockey podcasting. We've been listening to your podcast for a over a decade by now. But right now, you don't technically have any podcasts to your name. So how does it feel? Are you missing podcasting, or, or what's your stance there? Well, of course I am. I mean, I, I, should, I should correct you, though. I mean, I do have podcasts to my name. Uh, I do. They're all on the PuckSoup Patreon. It's uh, Mise and Pod, which is a food TV podcast. OUFL, which is the overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite uh, podcast. Uh, and then uh, I pop on Cipotle with the boys from PuckSoup. And... Uh, then there's a new, a new podcast that me and Lambert and John, John Gentilly from The Athletic are doing called uh, Stick to Soup, which Uh-oh. is everything but hockey. It's all really good. So I'm not completely out of the podcasting game. I just can't do like a main hockey podcast, and it stinks. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, it's, a, it's a policy that, uh, that ESPN has with regards to talent kind of working outside the company within their own genre. Um, I'm I'm happy that there are opportunities to do cool things. Uh, our show, The Drop, is coming back at the beginning of February. That kind of leads into the action that night on uh, on ESPN. 
so that'll be cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, listen, I've I've been hockey podcasting for, like you said, like a decade, maybe more, and uh, to not have a regular one is is kind of a, of a weird deal for me. Well, I guess it's nice because it gives you a little more time to join shows like ours. So again, thank you for hanging <laughs> out. Um, obviously, we're bringing you on to talk that Nazem Kadri article that you wrote at thirty one. He's having himself a career year. Uh, two part question on that for you, a. You know, with the Zoom press conferences we've been dealing with, you know, we haven't seen players open up quite like he did there. So first question, how did you get him to open up so much? And secondly, do you get a vibe that he is a little bit more relaxed since maybe the last time you talked to him when he was in Toronto? Oh, I think he's definitely more relaxed. I've spoken to him here and there through the years, and and I think that, you know, clearly the way the season has gone has, has, uh, has certainly allowed him to... Uh, be a bit more comfortable about things, I think. Uh, and, it, and let's let's also face facts that it's the uh, the regular season uh, and not the postseason, which probably also helps as far as his mindset goes. But uh, I spoke to Nas uh, about the um, Hockey Diversity Alliance uh, putting out that incredible uh, commercial and partnership with Budweiser Canada, um, and then that conversation kind of lent into uh, what was going on with him in the season and things like that. So. It was a very wide-ranging conversation, and, and I think that, you know, it's to, to go to your, your larger point, it's not something you can do over Zoom um, and not something you can do in the normal course of business. And um, while I think we all hope uh, on the media side that things return to a sense of normalcy and you can, you know, go see guys in the locker room and, you know, set things up for another time and, and just kind of understand the dynamics of <clears throat> what's going on with them a little bit better by having all that face-to-face uh, interaction, I do hope that teams are, are as forthcoming as some of them have been with regard to getting guys on the phone and, uh, and getting some time with them and not having situations where they're in a rush. Uh, because having a good you know, 15, 20 minutes with Nazem, uh, I think, really let, you know, helped me create what I think is a, a really good story about the dude and, and mm-hmm. learning a bit more about him beyond the, the season that he's having. Greg, last week, Adrian Dater and I talked about whether... Nazem was getting enough respect around the league. And I think when it comes to him being voted into the All-Star game as the last man in, shouldn't have come to that, but I'm glad that he got in. I think that's a sign he's getting respect. But do you feel like he gets enough respect on the ice? It seems like it's a little bit up for debate whether his you know, his kind of legacy so far as a player is maybe still hurting him reputationally. No, but I think he's he's earned that though. I mean, you know, when you're somebody whose reputation is guy who gets suspended in the playoffs for multiple games and costs his team victories, like I think that's a really thing. That's a really hard thing to shake. <clears throat> so I think ultimately the the way you shake that is by playing in the playoffs and being very productive and not getting suspended. That's the only way out of it. Uh, I do think there's also a little bit of avalanche bias in the sense that. When you think about the Avalanche, your mind immediately goes to uh, McKinnon and McCarr and Rantanen and Landis Cog. It doesn't necessarily go to, to Nazem Kadri, and, and I think there's probably a notion of he's a product of the talent around him, which is something that Kadri himself has acknowledged that he's obviously on a team with a lot of really talented people. But that's 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 not taking the extra step to understand, you know, who his no- normal line mates are and where he's been in the lineup and and how he produces no matter what situation he's been put in um, at this incredible level. And then I think probably 10% of the not respecting him thing is probably it's a contract year, which, I mean, as hockey fans, we've all seen guys have extraordinary offensive seasons when they're you know looking to sign a new deal in the summer. And I'm sure there's, there's a notion of, like, it's such a, a step up from previous seasons that there might be something anomalous about it. 
This is the Hockey Show with JJ and Ryan. We're talking to Greg Wyshynski. Greg, I wanted to get a little bit into the uh, Hockey Diversity Alliance. I'm sitting here wearing my HDA sweatshirt as we speak. Um, and I think it's something we're all excited about. We're all keeping an eye on. But it really felt like they went a long stretch of time there without making any noise. So from, I guess, your standpoint, are you seeing them kind of getting some more momentum here and maybe being a little bit more in the public eye? Or I guess what's your stance on their kind of quietness over the last several months until that commercial? You know, that's a, good, that's a really good point. And um, it was something that I wanted to ask both uh, Nazem and Akeem Aliou, who I spoke to for my story on the HDA's partnership with Budweiser Canada, is that very thing. Like, you know, big splash early and then a year of not really kind of doing anything that, tan- that tangible, right? So it's a couple of things. Um, they worked for a while in trying to secure funding from the NHL, and that went sideways. And um, it's gotten to the point where the NHL, you know, laid out all of these diversity and inclusion initiatives at their Board of Governors meeting, and the HDA wasn't really even a part of it. So that relationship's not exactly one that I think is salvageable, especially for what the HDA thinks the NHL should do from a a standpoint of financial support. Um, Not to say that it's closed off, but but to say that it's not really in a good place right now. So that was some wasted time. Uh, Akeem told me that they've been very um, selective, let's call it, in, in the partnerships that they choose. Uh, I think in a lot of cases, they'd had opportunities like the one with Budweiser Canada, but the uh, organizations didn't necessarily want to <clears throat> go as far as Budweiser Canada was, was willing to do insofar as that, that commercial and do the things that they were looking to do. So I think they've been very sort of careful about lending their brand to sponsorships, uh, opportunities, and maybe it, it just took a while to find the right one. Um, but now the wheels are in motion. I mean, with the money they're generating from this hockey tape thing um, and this partnership. Um, you know, Akeem told me that they've, they're going to do some pilot programs in the greater Toronto area insofar as helping out young players uh, that might not be able to afford to play the game and then doing a massive um, education uh, uh, movement insofar as going to schools and, and, and talking about hockey and the history of, of uh, players of color within the game. So, it's starting to move. The wheels are starting to turn, um, and, and it's good to see because I think this this uh, the bottom line for me. The HDA. Sorry to be so long winded on this. The bottom for me line for me in the HDA is that like I think it's super important to have somebody outside the NHL to be a watchdog on the NHL when it comes to issues of inclusion and diversity and race, and um, and and I think that's a really valuable thing. I I feel like this organization can do some some real good because the only way the NHL is going to have policies and these teams are going to have policies that are going to prevent racial incidents on the ice and, and create more diversity within the ranks of hockey management is to have some, some outside pressure applied, on, applied to them, and I think the HDA can do that. Greg, do you think that factored into the, the suspension of the San Jose Barracuda player uh, who just recently made a racist gesture to Boko Imama? You know that kind of pressure from the HDA? We get a 30-game suspension. That's, that's more than we've seen in previous similar situations. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the HDA, but I definitely know it's it's the fact that they only gave Brandon Manning five games uh, for a racist uh, for racist uh, slur that, that was uh, sent him on his way. Uh, I think it was like two years ago, and they took a ton of heat for that. So to have a, a situation like this um, that happens after that incident in the Ukrainian Hockey League, where a player pantomimed peeling a banana in front of a, a, a black player. Um, and, and, you know, them witnessing the outrage surrounding that, I think probably played into it too. But 
you know, one of the most interesting things about that suspension yesterday was the fact that they clearly laid out a path for redemption um, for this guy. I mean, maybe not redemption, but at least rehabilitation, saying that after he served 21 games, if he's done the education laid out by the NHL's Diversity uh, Council, um, headed by Kim Davis, Anson Carter's a part of it too, that, um, you know, if they say that, like, he's completed the training and they they feel like, you know, he understands the problem with, with his behavior, then he can get a reduced suspension down to, like, 21 games, which is something that... I don't recall ever really seeing in these inc- these incidents. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's certainly um, an interesting way to, to move forward, um, making a statement with a large suspension, but then acknowledging that you know if 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 a player does the work, that maybe they can they can you know continue their career. Awesome answers there. I got let's let's take a right turn. Let's loosen it up a little bit. After following you for so many years, I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart, but I want to get into Brad Marchand's escrow comments towards the Carolina Hurricanes and just get your <laughs> overall thoughts on. I'm sure you were delighted to hear something like that. Well, I mean, I was delighted from the aspect of it being trash talk from Brad Marchand. It's always <laughs> worth my time. I mean, I, I think that guy's a comedic genius uh, in, in all the, the ways that he gets under people's and teams' skin. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's a it's a little it's a little funny uh, and a little unfair. I think Alan Walsh was correct in in noting that the Carolina Hurricanes aren't the reason that players pay twenty percent escrow. The players pay twenty percent escrow because um, they've never been able to you know rally together and, and fight a system that demands there to be escrow mm. uh, under the salary cap. So while it was funny, it was also just an, maybe a, a slight reminder that these guys sometimes. Don't see the forest through the, tr- through the trees, and that blaming a, 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 a non-traditional market for the amount of money withheld from their paychecks uh, pales in comparison to blaming their own uh, union for not being able to fight the right fight and change the financial system of the National Hockey League. I think this, the best part about this, speaking of rehabilitation, is Brad Marchand has sort of rehabilitated his image from being you know, an obnoxious pest to being a funny pest, right? He he grabs that the fan's phone and records a little message. He's like, I don't even know whose phone this is. Like, it was almost a week of of Marshawn antics. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think the difference there is, uh, you know, hurting people would probably be the big difference between the old Marshawn and the new Marshawn, <laughs> in the sense that it was really hard to really uh, fully appreciate the comedic stylings of Brad Marshawn when he's you know throwing low bridge checks and and putting guys out of out of commission for months on end. Don't forget licking um, people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like, it, I, I think that's certainly his, his continuing maturity on the ice has certainly helped more appreciation for his overall personality. But I think he's great, man. I, I and I and I think that it's it's going to be fascinating to see at the end of his career exactly what the evaluation of it is from say like the Hockey Hall of Fame because his numbers keep climbing. He's going to hit some real landmarks. Uh, or benchmarks, rather, uh, by the end of his career. And, I mean, you could make the argument, and, and quite successfully, I think, that if you take the last you know, decade and, and change in the NHL, that outside of Alex Ovechkin, you know, there aren't many other guys in the conversation with Marchand for, for top left wing during that span. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly like what the ultimate evaluation of his career is going to be when he, when he retires. I got, I got two more for you, Greg. A, a hot topic in Colorado, in Denver specifically, is the Norris front runners. Uh, everybody seems to think that you know one goal from Kale McCarr specifically could make or break his 
candidacy. Obviously, Hedman had a good night the other night, you know, with Tampa down. Where, where are you leaning on this as, as someone who votes? What are you looking at? What's the criteria, and how are you leaning currently? Well, I think you got three guys, four guys, actually, that are just right there together, and they're packed together, and it's going to be interesting to see how it, it all shakes out in the next couple months. Um, in McCarr, Hedman, uh, Adam Fox from the Rangers, and Roman Yossi from the National Predators. I think those four guys have airtight cases right now for the Norris. Um, you know, and, and the, as we go along in the season, we're, we're, we've had two of these guys have moments that voters would look back on and say, wow, you know, this is a signature moment for a guy's Norris campaign. The McCarr goal and, and that game that you mentioned the other night where Hedman played over 30 minutes, uh, the Lightning only played with four defensemen, and not only does he play over 30 minutes, he scores, I think, two goals and an assist. So, like, that was a real signature moment for him, too. Uh, it's, it's a really incredible race, and, and that's not even mentioning maybe some of the other guys that think that they have a claim at this thing. But those four guys right now, to me, are, are just, you know, dead heat as far as their cases for, for winning that award. All right. My other thing, I haven't had a chance to listen, but you mentioned it, GoldenEye as being, uh, I believe, a, a top-tier soft reboot in the James Bond universe. I kind of want to know where, where uh, Daniel Craig, Casino Royale falls in your ranking <laughs> and who, who you would put money on to be the next James Bond. I have the so, odds pulled up. So the, the, the article you're talking about is an article that I, I wrote about requels on the PuckSoup Patreon, which, again, is, Puck, is patreon.com slash PuckSoup if you want to find my podcast, and then I write, I write two big uh, pop culture stories every month uh, on the site, too. And so the reason, so I, I really debated whether or not to put Casino Royale or GoldenEye on that list, um, because the basis of it is, is it's not a sequel and it's not a prequel, it's a requel. It's basically like rebooting the universe through a sequel, kind of like what we saw with the recent Scream movie. The Force Awakens, I think, is probably, and Jurassic World are probably the two biggest examples of this phenomenon. Um, I ultimately felt that Casino Royale was more of a prequel than it was a, a requel in the sense that I think it, it was meant to like show us Bond's nascent years. And um, despite the age of Daniel Craig, I think it was supposed to be like one of his big first adventures, you know? Yeah. So I left that off. And I think Goldeneye, in carrying over some of the cast from the Timothy Dalton movies, and then also being the first Bond movie that was not based on any Ian Fleming writing, um, on top of also being the first Bond movie that had CGI, I think made that sort of a reboot of, of the series while also still kind of following in the sequence of the previous films. Um, so that's, that's, where, that's why GoldenEye made the list and, and, uh, and Casino Royale didn't. As far as you should be the next Bond, uh, God, I don't know. Like, it, it sucks that it, it's just gotten to the point where like, all of the people that we really wanted, like Idris Elba, probably aged out of the role. I think Tom Hardy probably is aged out of the role, too. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya is one that I think is has always been an interesting choice, um, but well, I don't know. We'll see. It, 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 it needs to be somebody who can do something different than the blunt instrument that Craig was. I think it needs to maybe be someone who's a little bit more debonair and kind of take the the series in that direction too. But I mean, as anyone who's seen No Time to Die, it's also going to be a whole different series <laughs> than yep. it was previously. That's going to be a tough uh, one to follow. Is, yeah, which is going to be maybe the most exciting thing is the, uh, the clean break from continuity that that movie has uh, provided. Right on, Greg. That's a, such a thorough answer, and that's why we love having you on. Thanks so much for taking the time again. And uh, Kadri for Selkie? Oh, well, he, he thinks so. <laughs> he told me to get the campaign rolling, so we're, I guess we have to get the campaign rolling. Right, we're we on know campaigns you. you get going work. Yeah, we've seen it before. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Take care. There you have it, Greg Wachiski of ESPN. 
Such an awesome article uh, he wrote on Kadri this week. If you haven't checked it out yet, definitely do so today. It'll be some nice reading before the Montreal game, which we're going to get into here next with Connor McGahey and break down all things Avalanche versus Montreal tonight, 5 p.m. Ball Arena. This is the Hockey Show. JJ Jerez, Ryan Bolden, right here on My High Sports. Danny Bailey behind the glass. We'll be right back. <laughs> 